Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the show, fellow ridiculous historians, friends, and neighbors, uh, U.S. residents and citizens of the world alike. Uh, we are going on a journey today to a different part of the world. And what better way to get into it than to open with a question? Noel, have you ever seen a gorilla in real life? Yes, at the Columbia Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina. They have, uh, they have a gorilla situation there. A gorilla situation. They have a gorilla sitch. Yeah. <laughs> now, silverbacks, oh, I believe. Oh, and I'm Ben. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> and we have to, uh, of course, give a shout out to our uh, long suffering super producer, Casey Pegram. He's still in the wind, but he's here in spirit. In fact, today, we are kind of producerless and peek behind the curtain. It is Memorial Day, and we are here in the office. Making this episode just for you. Just for you, specifically you. you. Yes. If you're listening, you're thinking we're talking about a general to you. No, no. We don't do that. No, it's specifically you. And what better way to start, uh, we thought today, than to talk a little bit about gorillas. These are amazing creatures. They are. And, and, and uh, they are majestic mm-hmm. and also um, quite powerful. Oh, yeah. A lot of upper body strength. They got those big old forearms and those Mm -hmm. tiny little back legs. But, man, I would not want to run into one in a dark alley or, you know, accidentally end up flung into its pen. Yeah, they're the largest living primate. Uh, Males are about twice the size of females, so a male gorilla can weigh up to 400 pounds. Mm. And they're— They have opposable thumbs, just like us, right? So they can manipulate, hold, and carry things. They're also really, really smart, and they are a fun fact. Although they look like they might be ferocious carnivores, they're not. You remember Coco? Mm Mm-hmm. Coco, the sign language gorilla? Right. Uh, Heartwarming story there. Still 
still a little controversial in the science, but I don't know, man. That that stuff can break your heart because it feels like it's having very human, self-aware, sapient interactions. Well, if you want, I'm going to double down on the heartbreak, Ben. There's actually a picture of Robin Williams kicking it with Coco, and it will uh, jerk some tears right out of your eye holes if you look at that one. <laughs> eye holes. Oh, the Rick and Morty reference that we're just going to leave there. What is it, Terry Flaps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You texted me on the way up and you were downstairs and, and you, you asked me if I wanted to touch your terry flaps. Yes, that is a that is a reference. <laughs> Don't go calling HR on us, folks. That is a reference to uh Rick and Morty. But uh but the the statement of eye holes, yeah, it's it's true. It will hurt your eye holes and your heart holes to see Robin Williams with that that lovely gorilla. Now Coco has something in common with our uh with our protagonist or our tragic hero of today's story because Coco is a type of gorilla called a western lowland gorilla. Western lowland gorillas are the primary type of gorilla that you will see in a zoo across the world. There are some exceptions. Uh, there's an eastern lowland gorilla that lives at the Antwerp Zoo, and there are some mountain gorillas that live in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And I mean zoo gorillas, not gorillas in the wild. So typically, if you are imagining a, a gorilla exhibit you have seen or a preservation you've seen here in the States, then it is going to be, uh, it's going to be a home to Western lowland gorillas. They're generally lighter colored than Eastern gorillas, but in terms of behavior, they're still the same. They're, they're very intelligent. They're uh, tremendously strong. They're calm until they're not. Well, they're, they're highly territorial. They will protect their turf and their own. If you come up upon them and pose a threat, they will go to great lengths to defend themselves and their loved ones. And occasionally these stories pop up in the news, like uh, Harambe, the gorilla who was tragically put to death. Right. Uh, a little kid fell, a, fell in the pen. When a kid, a human child. Mm -hmm. Something sounds so creepy and David Bowie-esque in Labyrinth saying human child. Yeah. Well, a kid fell in and as a result, Harambe was put to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and today's story centers on a, a human no, man. A human man, <laughs> yes, who was once a human child. And a gorilla named Max who lived at the Johannesburg Zoo. So as the story goes, a, a guy was fleeing the police. He had, he had robbed some houses. He was on the lam. He was on the run. And uh, he vaulted a fence. I'm trying to picture how this happened. Like, mm -hmm. did he know what he was getting into? Was he just like, oh, that's cool, I'll figure this out. Anyway, vaulted the fence, running from the cops, ended up inside Max's gorilla pit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that he shared with his um, life partner, Lisa. Mm -hmm. His mate, his better half. So this guy, this criminal, Isaac Mofokeng, jumps into the zoo, as, as you said, Noel, and Max, as we had established earlier, being a gorilla is thinking, who the heck is this? This is not a zookeeper. This is not one of the people that I know. And so he defends his territory. What we mean by that is he displays signs of intimidation and he moves toward Isaac, Mofokeng. And Mofokeng, unfortunately for Max, was armed. Yeah, and he... Uh... 
put a few slugs in, in old Max, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He shot him in the chest, but that was not enough to stop a 400-pound angry gorilla. So Max bites Isaac. And, you know, we try to be a family show, but bites him in the butt, essentially. And it sounds hilarious now, but that is a grievous wound. So he has Isaac Mufukeng, uh bitten in the buttocks. He's pinned him against the wall. This man is about to die. Police intervene, and in the process of rescuing Isaac, the police officers, at least two of them, are also injured by Max. He's not having it. Well, I mean, you know, he can't differentiate at this point between friend or foe. He's he's already been threatened, and then these other schmoes show up trying to apprehend the suspect. And to Max, they're just another part of the problem. They are trespassing on his land. And he's been shot. Well, he got, he got shot in the chest and then in, in the neck, right? Right, one yeah. Through the neck. Um, but I think the one in the neck passed right through, I want to say. Luckily, and yeah. And the one in the chest was not a mortal wound, thankfully. And in fact, I think they actually left it in. They left the bullet in because Ooh. it would have been more traumatic for Max if they had had to dig around and do surgery to get it out. And they put him down, yeah. Or under anesthetic, rather. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. We are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. There's just a there's just a bit more color we should add to the story here, because in many other countries and many other points in time, this may have been a story that you hear as a three to four minute piece on your evening news. Right? You turn it. You you tune into Channel Eleven, whatever, and. People are saying, strange story from a local Columbia Zoo or something. However, this was Johannesburg, South Africa, in the late 90s. People were tremendously concerned about crime in the city. And so Max became um, became famous for this. Yeah, something of a symbol, mm-hmm. you know, of... I don't know, maybe rule of law is not the right term, but just the idea of pushing back against criminals that were just everywhere. The just, wave of crime. It was just awful. And, you know, we're going to get a little more into this, mm-hmm. but we also haven't really talked about the fact that this is the 90s, and our mm-hmm. show's called Ridiculous History. And the notion of the, of not the 90s it seems a little off even for us. We're like, is this really historical? Mm-hmm. But man, was it a different time. It was a very different time. And the way that we decided to approach this was to look at what we would call a cutoff date, right? Like at what point does something become history, even though we're creating it every single second of our lives? I think we can all agree that right now, 2008 would still be a little too recent. I think so. Right. But 1990, and not to mention the history surrounding this time in Johannesburg and South Africa in general. Mm-hmm. We forget, I certainly forgot, that apartheid, this this mm-hmm. this institutionalized racist government that owned South Africa for decades had only just ended. Mm-hmm. And there was severe Fallout. You know, they had democracy for the first time after the end of apartheid, this, um, again, institutionalized um, segregation of the majority black um, population of the country and uh, by the minority white government of the country. Um, We can get into a little bit more specifics about that in a minute. But that's the cult. That's the the atmosphere here. Yeah. And the crime, you know, the non-political violence is 
there's no rule of law. It's like a free-for-all in the streets. It's exploding. It absolutely is a total powder keg. And this idea of Max, I think it could be argued, was sort of a beacon of hope that was very quickly latched onto Mm -hmm. by the community. Yeah, yeah. One thing that may be useful uh, by way of comparison for our American listeners is to think of McGruff the Crime Dog. Do you remember McGruff, Noel? I do. And he, <laughs> but he was a cartoon, and he was pretty inspiring just as a cartoon. This was a real-life gorilla that yeah. had weathered this chaotic environment. And the reason, the reason I bring up the McGruff comparison is because Max— becomes this uh, very useful symbol for the police, as we said, and he has merchandise that comes out. We've got ma- stuffed Max dolls. When And McGruff would take a bite out of crime. Max took a bite out of the butt of crime. <laughs> yes, and Max was also, as, as you had said, Max was real. This was a real incident. But he didn't just get stuffed animals made in his likeness. Uh, he became... A celebrity, and I, I don't know if you had ever heard this word, but this was my first time reading the word spokesbeast. Was he a pansexual, non-threatening spokes thing? <laughs> Remember that from Mr. Show? Yes. Pit-pat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, spokesbeast. He was um, the spokesbeast for La Bombo Bananas, and he actually got paid uh, with a year's supply of free bananas. They literally made it rain bananas on Max. Ka-ching. Uh, a computer company hired him to pose in ads for its new software. Yeah, I wonder what the software was called. I couldn't uh, I couldn't find any specifics about that. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, yeah, you have a gorilla kind of shilling your software for you. That's that's interesting. He must have really been beloved. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, there was a drink, an energy drink, which <laughs> I love the name of. It. It's just called Energade or Energade. I was wondering is it Energade or Energade yeah. as well? It's sort of like a Gatorade mm-hmm. uh, equivalent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they they signed up Max after they learned that that was Max's favorite drink mm-hmm. uh, for taking antibiotics at the zoo. The zookeepers would slip his meds into. Um, a nice, refreshing bottle of Energade. And so he thought he was having a juice party, which, uh, you know, that I can easily see that happen because if Energade or Energade is anything like Gatorade or uh, Powerade, then it's probably very sugary, right? Mm-hmm. So a bank and a construction company also sponsored Max, meaning that they contributed money to the zoo for his upkeep, medical bills, feeding, etc. Yeah, like upgrading his pen, mm-hmm. um, things like that, the infrastructure, because, again, he was like a, a local, he was like a national treasure, you know, a local hero. We got to tell the newspaper story, This though. is great. Yeah, the Saturday Star um, paid 2200 bucks for a photo, or I guess for a photo shoot, where Max was browsing the, the paper. And they got the photos. Mm-hmm. After they got the photos, because Max clearly is a professional at this point, after they got the photos, he went ahead and ate every page of the paper. He was a fan. He was a fan. He was trying to take it all in through osmosis. It's similar to uh, what Maurice Sendak called the highest praise he had ever received, the children's author of Where the Wild Things Uh Are. Uh, He said he received a note from a fan who said they they enjoyed his book, uh, reading it, and they also wanted to eat it. My girlfriend asked me the strangest question the other day. She said, have you ever eaten paper to keep someone from getting it? <laughs> like like a note? And, I, and at first I was like, what do you ta- What do you mean? And don't, she, she, she goes, admit, you know, I mean, like if, you, if a teacher caught you passing a note in class sure. rather than having her confiscate it and see what horrid things you were writing, uh-huh. you just 
eat it. Yeah. I'm like, that is baller. That sounds like something people should not admit to doing. Well, I'm sorry for throwing her under the bus, but you guys don't know her. Oh, did she, did she admit it? She admitted it, yeah. I mean, it's resourceful. I think so, too. But Spies have done what, that. What was she possibly writing that would have been, like, worth consuming right there in front of the teacher? Overthrow the teacher. The revolution is now. I think so. Speaking of which. Yes, speaking of which, uh, we could go on and list some of Max's sponsorships, but it's more important we feel, to explore why this occurred, whence this came. So we mentioned, we mentioned apartheid. We, we mentioned uh, the distinction between political and non-political crime. And unfortunately, we could do an entirely different show on the systemic causes of apartheid, the process of combating it, and the ramifications of apartheid that remain in Johannesburg in the modern day. But we feel the cultural ecology uh, from from which Max's celebrity arises is as important as the details of that that moment in the zoo. Oh, for sure. Dare, dare we say much more important, but Max being like almost like a Batman-esque figure, like, and, and Johannesburg and South Africa being the Gotham City, everyone needs a hero they can uh, look to. That they can believe in. They can yeah. believe in. And as silly as that sounds, uh, and, you know, we're editorializing a little bit here, but I, I can't help but think that's what caused this uh, gorilla to reach such heights of, of celebrity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just a bit of background, because I, I, I did not know quite how far back this stretched. Apartheid became law in South Africa in 1950. Um, Things like marriages between um, white people and black people were forbidden, any kind of sexual relations. The idea was to separate not only black people from white people, but black people from each other. And right. like sectionalize them into different, uh, they called them, you know, tribal factions or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it kept them from organizing and kept them from fighting back and having political power, right? Um, they had to carry papers. It was like Nazi Germany. This yeah. Is the, I mean, and, and this, again, this did not really fully come to an end, at least on the books, until 1993. Right. Yeah, this this process of st- setting aside territory and, and for black inhabitants of South Africa at the time uh, was uh, the things they were making were known as Bantu stands. Mm-hmm. And 10 of them were established in South Africa to concentrate members of certain ethnic groups, making those groups, in the opinion of the ruling party, uh, ethically homogenous and, and making them nation states, but it also it also, as you said, had the clear effect of removing or or stymieing the ability of people to band together in a larger force to combat apartheid. Apartheid was based on the principle known as Boskop. Now, neither Noel nor I speak this language, but Boskop with two A's, two S's, was this it's this concept that translates from Afrikaans to something like boss ship, like being the boss mm. or domination. It's it's essentially it's white supremacy. Yeah. And the idea of the national party at this time was very much solidly based 
in the old concepts of colonialism, the idea that there is some sort of uh, a sta- there, there is some sort of inborn superiority, mm-hmm. on, depending on how one defines a race or whatever. And we must also point out that these kinds of concepts, this white supremacy stuff, is not is not a just a general all white people are better because there are also levels in their white supremacist ideas that yeah. certain white people are, you know, somehow better than other white people, et cetera. And these concepts go back to the very founding of South Africa as an independent nation. In 1913, this thing called the Land Act was passed um, that began this segregation um, of black Africans and the minority whites and also deprived black Africans of the ability to work as sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, denied a way, a means of, of an income, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And this, again, this uh, applied not just to uh, people that the governing forces characterized as black. It applied to people that they characterized as non-white in any way. So this also included uh, what would be described as South Asians or people they would have called Indians at the time. And it would split up families because a uh, mother for example, could be considered um, black or Bantu, and then um, a uh, a child or a spouse could be classified differently, and it would literally break up these families. Yeah. Yeah, that's spot on. Through the dual use of bureaucracy and brutality, they attempted to, and in some spheres succeeded in uh, taking this insane notion and enforcing it or, or, or bringing it to uh, a, a horrific reality on innocent people. These are not, you know, it's not like a weird punishment they made up for soldiers. These are civilians. These are children. Oh, yeah. And we see already an unsustainable situation. Thing, like what we see, historically what we find is that in cases of discrimination, which always, always exists in cases where this sort of execrable suppression and oppression of people occurs, there is almost always going to be a backlash. Yeah. Instant opposition Mm -hmm. in the form of the African National Congress as early as the 1913 Land Act, that controversial Mm -hmm. law that was passed. Um, And this is the party that would be like like if we're talking rebels versus you know the empire mm-hmm. <laughs> these are the rebels right we're in star wars parlance here sure. um and it wasn't until the late 40s that the idea of apartheid actually began um the afrikaner national party actually won an election Using this, this is the first time you started seeing this word apartheid, which means separateness. There's a, there's a fantastic rundown um, of, of all of this in the timeline of apartheid on history.com um, oh. that, I, that I recommend checking out for sure. It gives you a pretty deep dive into some of this. And we're not going to go into the minutiae of all of it because it's mm-hmm. a whole, like you said, Ben, a whole story unto itself. But from the very start, you had this opposition and a culture of violence, a culture of war, essentially. Yeah, so the precedents for these racist beliefs existed for a long, long time. They were codified in the late 40s 
But the history of the African National Congress, as as you said, doesn't start just there in the 40s. The origins go back. Um, you'll you'll hear people report that the African National Congress really starts, or it's it, the first inklings of this begin when a fellow named Pixley Ka Asaka Seme says in 1911, forget all the past differences among Africans and unite in one national organization. It's also really important to say this, that during the times of colonialism, many of the borders that were established in the modern states now were created to purposefully divide existing communities. So now it doesn't matter if for time immemorial, you and you and this, uh, the rest of your community have lived in this one area, right? The, once the national lines are drawn by these European powers, all of a sudden you are different states. Almost like a more extreme version of something like gerrymandering, where you're sort of um, rigging the game against people to uh, ensure that they have no voice politically. Right. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. From the perspective of the pro-apartheid National Party, the 
activities of the National Congress are terrorism, essentially. That's yeah. that's what they're that's what they are perceiving it as. That's what they're portraying it as in the international media. But you gotta fight fire with fire, Ben. I mean, these these uh it's essentially a fascist regime, you know, that is that is trying to um utterly crush any kind of resistance with violence. And the only way to fight back against that is with more violence, unfortunately, a lot of the time. I mean, that's the thing. The history of this country is is so rooted in conflict, just mm-hmm. constant conflict from the beginning until apartheid came to an end in the early 90s. Well, the conflicts change, perhaps. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, yeah. Even the notion of it coming to an end and them um, mm-hmm. establishing real democracy, that does not happen overnight, especially when you've just had constant struggle for decades and decades. It becomes ingrained, you know? Mm-hmm. In 1960, 70 black demonstrators are killed in Sharpville and the African National Congress is officially banned. So just uh, just like 10 years after the government comes to power, they classify everybody by race. Oh, they also banned the Communist Party as well. Uh, in, in 1950, let me go back for a second. In 1950, Nelson Mandela is responding to the banning of the Communist Party, these racial classifications and such by launching a campaign of civil disobedience. But when the ANC is officially banned in 1960, one year later, Nelson Mandela in 1961 heads the African National Congress's new military wing, which launches sabotage campaigns. And these become, you know, these become on-the-ground operations. So no more civil disobedience. These are acts to, uh, meant to purposely in some way cripple the function of the government. Absolutely. I mean, they, they are in open rebellion. And Nelson Mandela, um, after many of the leaders of the movement were jailed or executed, Mandela um, was imprisoned, as, as, as you know, for quite a long time, from 1963 until, uh, I believe, just 1990. And they, they kind of bounced him all over town, didn't they, Ben? Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was originally jailed in Marshall Square Prison in Johannesburg. He, uh, along with his co-defendants, admitted that they had committed acts of sabotage but denied that they were waging guerrilla war against the government, uh, of course, they're sentenced to life in prison, although the prosecutor demanded the death sentence. Mandela is eventually transferred to Robben Island, where he is forced to live for the next 18 years. And at this point, he's thinking, you know, I may be in jail for the rest of my natural life. Uh, he gets transferred to a couple of different prisons. There is also a free Mandela protests taking place at that time. The politics don't stop because he is imprisoned. And he, in many ways, becomes a symbol for the fight against apartheid. Uh, He gets transferred to a prison in Cape Town called Polesmore Prison. And the conditions there are a little better than they are at Robben Island. But then he gets transferred to Victor Verster Prison near a place called Part. Uh, And he eventually, going back to what what you said, Noel, he eventually, in 1990, is freed. He is freed. And he, in, in league with uh, the current president, F.W. de Klerk, who was the head of the government at the time, they 
work together to repeal many of these apartheid laws that have been on the books for so long and establish a new constitution which gave um, African black citizens the right to vote democratically and other racial groups that were also discriminated against, as you mentioned, non-whites. Mm-hmm. And all of this went into play in 1994. They started free elections and essentially laid the groundwork for having a free and democratic society. Right. The ANC campaigned in 94. Their slogan is a better life for all. And there's a focus on development. Uh, This is around the time that the the world, uh, much of which was already against the pre-existing system of apartheid, this is when the world also starts to actively support Nelson Mandela and the ANC through the soft diplomacy of international accolades and awards, most particularly the Nobel Prize. Yeah. He shared that with de Klerk. And the, the campaign was meant to not just break the system, but to build a better one. They had and continue to pursue, as we're going to find, uh, noble goals. One such would be the idea of building a million houses in five years, free education, access to water and electricity, because many people went without it. And this constitution was insanely forward-thinking, had Mm -hmm. so many uh, protections built into the language, um, protections um, that we don't have on the books that we fight for daily in this country, Um, protection for gays and lesbians. Leading Um, to the being called the Rainbow Nation, right? The Rainbow Nation, exactly. Um, Not only that, some of those very progressive ideas of how to establish good housing for the poor, um, the idea of basic human rights to education, to health care, workers' rights, um, access to information, um, again, women, gays and lesbians, children, environmental protections. Um, and then there's this thing that I thought was so cool. It's called the principle of the ratchet. And this was language built into this constitution that said essentially, even if the government can't, with the resources currently available, give all of these things like schools, housing, clean water to every community all at once, it has to convince the courts that they are working towards it in a fundamentally real way. Which is fantastic because it's a baked-in accountability, right? And while we are rightly praising the ANC for doing a thing that many people around the world once thought was impossible, we do also have to acknowledge that the way they got there uh, did involve what, you know, did did involve more than nonviolence and, and more than sabotage of industrial stuff. Like uh, in, there's an article in the New York Times from 1997 that examines how senior officials of the African National Congress later, after taking power, said that they had, if not actively participating in some of the guerrilla violence that Mandela had been accused of and his co-defendants, they could have at the very least done something to stop it. They were tacitly aiding people who were perpetrating these events. Again, not all on 
not all on just, you know, soldiers of the pro-apartheid side, but again, men, women, and children, well, the, civilians. The line becomes so blurred because so many of these groups are, are little independent offshoots, um, independent rebel groups, militias that are armed. Because apparently in 1994, you could buy an AK-47 on the black market for what would equate to about $15 American. Um, mm. There's this incredibly moving and disturbing article in The New Republic from 1994 called South Africa's Violent Road to Real Democracy. And it uh, mentions some of these statistics about the AK-47 and how supposedly at the time you could order a hit for Mm. that same amount, 50 rand. And this article centers, at least um, in the early part of it, around this hospital called Baragawanath Hospital, shortened to the Bara, which is in the Soweto township of Johannesburg. And um, it just shows a lot of the comings and goings and interviews a lot of the doctors. And it just, you know, you're seeing stabbing victims coming through, people with these um, very telltale wounds from a particular weapon called a panga, which is like a machete um, that that the members of the Zulu faction uh, would carry. Um, and it just, the, the the sense of desperation that comes across in this article, like they refer to the uh, doctor's trauma ward as the pit. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, I can't imagine the chaos. And it does a really good job of kind of differentiating between the political violence that had a death toll of more than 15,000 over a span of four years. But, the majority of the violence that outshined even that insane number was just criminal violence. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up, although it is, a, it is a disturbing thing. In 2007, the South African government contacted the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation to figure out why this crime occurs or what the tone of it is, the, the systemic causes. And one of the things they found was that the courts were inefficient, and that violence had become normalized. So this was expected. Uh, and this is, uh, this is also tying in, of course, the vulnerability of young people, high levels of inequality. From these various factors, we see hard numbers arise. I, I think in the, the same article you mentioned, uh, it, it cites, at least in that time, South Africa's murder rate was 10 times that of the United States, which, you know, has a national image of a country with a cartoonish murder rate here at the U.S. Yeah, and of course, you know, with this chaos, um, the African National Congress was constantly at war with the police. And their goal, according to this article and, and everything else we've seen, was to make these various areas, these townships, ungovernable is the word they use here. Mm-hmm. And so you're dealing with this uh, this just decades-long struggle uh, that never comes quite comes to an end, even after apartheid ends. You can't just turn that off right. with the passage of a law. Right. It's very difficult to address all of the contributing factors, the old enmities, because we can't forget that many of the pro-apartheid individuals that were active in the government were also tremendously financially influential, right, or socially influential. So some of those means of, not to sound like a banned Communist Party member, but many of those means of production were still owned by the uh, forces of apartheid or pro-apartheid people. A lot of money to be made with constant 
conflict. Right. And this, we know that this sounds like disturbing stuff, but while we're painting this picture, we don't want to gloss over the fact that South Africa as a nation has made tremendous progress, but that progress still continues today. Uh, South Africa, as recently as 2015, had been characterized by British papers like The Guardian as a country at war. Uh, There were uh, uh, the murder rate soared to nearly 49 people a day in in South Africa overall. Yeah. And of course, that's not going to be evenly distributed. A lot of that happens in the urban centers. But despite all of that, this this progress continues. The the legacy of the African National Congress continues. It's interesting, though, because Johannesburg is subject to something that we are seeing quite a lot of here in Atlanta, which is rabid gentrification. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of these um, formerly uninhabitable or very, very highly dangerous places, um, burnt out buildings, abandoned locations have now been cleared out uh, of squatters, you know, very low income homeless people that, that are living there illegally. They have all been cleared out to make way for developers. Um, there is an area, there's an article uh, on CNN called Johannesburg's Crime Hotspot Transformed to Hipster Hangout. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very familiar to where we're sitting right here, a place called Pont City Market in Atlanta on a street called Pont de Leon that used to be very dangerous and uh, a lot of crime. And now it's kind of a lot of that's been swept away and replaced by bougie hipster malls. And that same thing is happening in Johannesburg. Activists are referring to this as spatial apartheid and calling for occupations of Cape Town. Uh, There's there's a Another article from The Guardian, whom I found had a lot of great reporting on this, uh, by Alice McCool, that examines how these housing activists are taking over a nurse's home, a hospital, and attempting to gain national and international recognition of the housing problem, both in terms of affordability, in terms of gentrification, and in terms of historical land theft. Which is, you know, what happened. Well, of course. I saw a thing in this article from CNN about how these developers are now looking at Johannesburg as a a super hotspot for buying up real estate. One developer in particular um, who is doing a project called Arts on Main in a precinct called the Mobonang, which means place of light, um, talks about these stats. He says it's paid off financially, but it will pay off more in the medium to long term. Um, and this is a developer by the name of Jonathan Liebman, who is kind of making this his a big project of his. Um, apparently, apartments now, you can get one um, between the range of 280,000 Rand or about $28,000 American to 3 million Rand, which is about 300,000. And Liebman says that these prices in Johannesburg are skyrocketing. So he can buy up buildings. He said it used to be you'd pay 100 euros a square meter for a building. And now because of the efforts of guys like him, the prices are going through the roof. Mm -hmm. And in 2011, the government tried to combat this by ruling that local councils, local governments essentially are required to house anyone evicted to make room for a private or public development. But the problem is, according to activists, that the authorities who are charged with this responsibility only provide 
overcrowded blocks where families are still forcibly split up or uh, squalid slums, essentially. And even those only meet a fraction of the demand. So we can see with this, with the ecology, the environment in which these events occur, we can see how injustice becomes a daily part of almost every human being's life, right? At least for that time. And so, of course, there is something tremendously powerful and cathartic about seeing justice done, both for, uh, both for oddly enough, this is speculation, but both the pro-apartheid racist forces, the authoritarians or the empire from your earlier comparison, and the rebel forces or the people fighting for equality, both saw something in Max the Gorilla because they saw rule of law, right? If you're, if you're pro-police, you're seeing like, oh, look, rule of law, uh, the, the authorities won. If you're anti-police, you're saying, oh, look, finally, someone who can do the job. Mm -hmm. And because of this, for a time, Max becomes this universally lauded figure. And Isaac, the unfortunate Isaac Mofokung, who goes to, goes to jail, he is captured. Yeah, 40 year sentence. Got a 40 year sentence. The judge referred to him as a, an unguided missile, a, a loose cannon, mm -hmm. uh, a time bomb, because he had, you know, had just a rap sheet, uh, uh, a very thick one. Mm -hmm. Let's say that. Yeah. And he eventually passed away in a psychiatric hospital. But you and I were talking off air about this, Noel. Uh, there were some suspicious circumstances to his death. Yeah, supposedly um, his sister got a call, I believe it was his sister, from somebody from the facility saying that uh, he had passed away after vomiting and collapsing. Um, but then when they got to the hospital, the story changed to this idea that he had um, stolen a fistful of another patient's medication when they come around with those trays, I guess, with the pills in the cups mm -hmm. and gobbled them down, um, attempting suicide and succeeding. But the circumstances are a little murky, and it's this, the whole story is a little strange. Yeah, and you have to put yourself in the family's position. How, how else can you react but with suspicion when someone tells you one story about your loved one's death, and then they tell you a completely different story? So there remains, uh, from that family's perspective, an unsolved mystery regarding the uh, shooter of Max the Gorilla, regarding Isaac M., Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We should also say Max's story doesn't end when he gets those endorsements. We have more news about Max the Gorilla. Well, he was voted Newsmaker of the Year for South Africa for 1997, the Johannesburg Press Club. Um, He was 26 years old at the time, we should mention, named this national gorilla hero. It's Newsmaker of 1997, and they presented him a giant trophy, a meter high, made of cake and fruit that he devoured on camera. Like promptly, right? Super good photo op. Max went on to live at the Johannesburg Zoo as a symbol of justice, a symbol that something could be right in the world until the age of 34, which is pretty good for a gorilla. Not bad. Where he uh, he passed away in his sleep in 2004, I want to say. Yeah, I believe it was from cardiac arrest, um, which is apparently a pretty common way for elderly gorillas to go. And we did find a funny story about his love life. Do you think we got time to throw that yeah, in? Let's toss it in. Okay, okay. So, so Max the gorilla did show up in the news for at least one non-crime related thing, non-advertisement related thing. Uh, we we found a story about uh, about his love life that has, uh, there's some pretty interesting language in here, but Max's partner, 
Lisa, who he who he was protecting. He was protecting, yeah, uh, from, from Isaac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Max and Lisa were still together. This was a long-running relationship, and uh, some journalists believed that they had perhaps lost the spark because Max stopped being interested in intimacy with Lisa. Yeah, there's an article from Independent Online, Max the Gorilla Refuses to Mate, where they talk about this issue and how um, <laughs> the gorilla scientists there at the uh, Johannesburg Zoo, because that's a job, um, even considered dosing old Max possibly in a Gatorade uh, equivalent drink with um, some Viagra. Intergate. 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 Let us know, right? Is any right South is, African listeners, yeah. let us know how to pronounce Send that Send us some if you have some. Uh, but apparently gorillas in general don't really – they're not really that into sex in the first place. Mm-hmm. So once the spark is gone, the thrill is gone, my friend, it, it's gone for good. Yeah. Uh, and then Max, as we said, passed away peacefully in his sleep. That's a happy ending for him. Uh, and his widow then, Lisa, uh, continued on for about – Two years, she had another partner, uh, a 19-year-old named Makoko. Young Buck. Young Buck, the boy toy. uh, And Lisa passed away in 2006 at the age of 35. Uh, She had, during a surgery, to determine whether or not she had a cancer screw. Ah. Yeah. But... Neither of them died of gunshot wounds. That's very true. And to this day, there is a statue commemorating Max the Gorilla at the Johannesburg Zoo that you can go visit in his honor. And thus concludes our story of Max the Gorilla. We found so many other amazing things. I I had a really tough time not putting in more stories of animals doing heroic stuff with humans. I know. There's there's a lot there, but, you know, we kind of, we took a pretty dark turn in this one and uh, really needed that context and that background, and Mm -hmm. I'm glad we did. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's a little intense, but it also shows that the 90s, totally historical time. My friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For oh, more reasons than just like trapper keepers and stuff. Across the world, Guatemalan Civil War, for instance, you know. So we would like to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We know this episode went a little bit long, but we wanted to we wanted to explore as much as we could the story behind the story, which too often gets uh, forgotten or relegated to a footnote in a history book. And we, of course, would like to hear from you. You can find Noel Super Producer Casey and I all over the internet. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Check us out at Ridiculous Historians, where you can you can find us hanging out in the forums, posing and answering very strange questions. We also might be posing as other um, users, creeping. Oh, really? I have a pseudo account. Yeah. Did you start one? Mm. Not gonna tell you the name though, because then you'll know it's me. <laughs> How's your Pinterest board coming, Ben? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I had a vision board. I'm I, sorry. Excuse me. How's I, your vision board coming? Thank you. It's it's uh, It just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. You got a lot of vision. Bigger. It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's an ongoing effort. I think uh, Ridiculous Historians the Facebook is, is group. a big part of it. The Facebook group. I've got a picture of the Facebook group. I've got a picture of uh, you and I in a helicopter, which I think could be really cool at some point. So... We'd like to hear from you. 
Uh, what are some other examples that you remember from your neck of the global woods involving an animal doing something heroic? Possibly in the 90s. <laughs> Possibly in the 90s, yes. Uh, bonus points in the 90s, but we will be interested in any time period, and it may end up on a future episode because I think we can make a really fascinating thing. It might have to be a list because there are so many. You know what? I've got to I gotta get out of here. I've got to trim down my list. I found like 30. It's also Memorial Day, man. We should probably like go to the lake or something. Mm-hmm. Get, get on a boat. Mm-hmm. You know? Take a helicopter to a boat. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's take the ridiculous history copter. Uh, the ridicocopter. Mm-hmm. We have a helipad on the on the roof here at Pond City Market. That is a true story. It's right like- next to the mini golf course. <laughs> next to the mini golf course and the fancy hot dog stand. Uh, Yes, so we are going to get out of here. As always, thank you so much to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thank you to Alex Williams, who composed the track. And huge thanks, as always, to our top-notch, grade-A, one-of-a-kind researcher, Christopher Hasiotis, who hipped us to the harrowing story of Max the Gorilla. See you next time, folks. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.